0: Well, if you have your Bibles this evening, I want to invite you to turn them to Psalm 107, Psalm 107, and um, by the way, this, um, this afternoon I was looking for a church um, down in the Corpus Christi area. Somebody had asked me if, they could, if I could help them find a, a church, a like-minded church to go to down there, and so I was just online doing some research, and I came across a church called Bring Your Bible Baptist Church. And I'm like, I like that church. I didn't even look at their website. I said, you need to go to that church, okay? If They're bringing their Bibles, right? And so if you're ever down in the Corpus Christi area, look it up. Bring your, bring your Bible Baptist Church, okay? Like that. Well, some years ago, about this time, I read an upsetting, but not surprising, article entitled, Thanks, But No Thanks, and it was about... How some Christians have expressed concern that Thanksgiving is becoming more and more secularized by our society, just like Christmas has become. And uh, some of those Christians might be in this room, right? Uh, in fact, the article itself was proof of how secularized Thanksgiving has become. Uh, the author chided Christians who insist that the focus should be on Christ during Christmas time for now wanting to celebrate Thanksgiving with an emphasis on thanking God. The article included a picture of a turkey choking on a cross. The author suggested that the traditional story that we all learned in grade school about the pious pilgrims thanking God for graciously bringing them to to the new land, to the new world, and sustaining them during that first uh, difficult year uh, may be a heartwarming story, But its historical accuracy is in question, and so consequently, Christians should not try to impose a spiritual meaning to thanksgiving. The article closed by proposing that rather than insisting that people thank God, Christians should let everyone celebrate thanksgiving however they deem best, even if it means they thank goodness, not God, which after all is close enough. The article referenced a post by a professor of philosophy at Tufts University who made these blasphemous remarks. He said, quote, when I gaze in wonder at a starry sky or the waves crashing on the granite shores of Maine, I'm not just thrilled to be alive on this wonderful planet. I'm grateful. But to whom? There is no person who created the universe or the planet or the biosphere, so there is really nobody to thank for that. A God who is not a person is not an appropriate recipient of thanks. We non-believers have no difficulty with thanksgiving. We just eliminate the middleman and give thanks directly to the real ongoing human project of making the world safer and better for everyone. Well, in defiance of that atheistic, revisionist thinking... um, that seeks to remove God from our psyche and suppress the real meaning and original intent of Thanksgiving by labeling the, the pilgrim story a myth, I want to read for you the true historical account of the pilgrims based on Governor William Bradford's book called On Plymouth Plantation. Listen to what he wrote. In September of 1620, a small wooden ship called the Mayflower set sail from England headed for the New World. Crowded on board were 102 English Puritans who had been persecuted, imprisoned, and dispossessed of their homes and believed that God was leading them to establish a new community where they could worship freely. After 65 days of tossing on the sea through ferocious storms, seasickness, terrible food, no sanitation, these pilgrims reached the shores of what is now known as Plymouth, Massachusetts. Winter was setting in and they quickly constructed rustic shelters for themselves. However, as the weeks went by, the weather grew worse. In the coldest stretch of winter, a flu-like illness swept through the Plymouth colony. By the end of March, nearly half of those who had arrived on the Mayflower had died. With the help of two English-speaking Indians, Samoset and Squanto, the remaining colonists formed a peace pact with a nearby Wampanoag tribe who taught the settlers how to grow crops such as corn and pumpkins and how to trap beaver for their pelts. By October 1621, the crops were ready for harvest The pilgrims' hearts were full of gratitude to God for their renewed health, for the abundant harvest, and for the peace they enjoyed with the Indians. It was William Bradford who declared that they should hold a festival of thanksgiving. And before the feast, Bradford offered a prayer of thanks to God for his miraculous provision and protection in helping them establish the first permanent settlement in North America. I think what I found most interesting in this account of the founding of the Plymouth Plantation is that he explicitly referred to Psalm 107. And it was obviously, as we will read through it this evening, uh, why this psalm was a favorite of the pilgrims who likely meditated on it um, throughout their perilous journey to America and during that difficult first year. And so it's no wonder that this psalm became known as the Pilgrim's Psalm, the Pilgrim's Psalm. Now, Psalm 107 was originally written not to the Puritans of England who came to this new world, but it was written to the nation of Israel. And as you know, God had chosen the nation of Israel to be a witness to all the other nations of the one true God. This required that they be different from the other nations, and so God gave them some very specific commands for them to follow that would keep them set apart from the rest of the world. However, the nation rebelled against God and didn't keep His commands, and so He punished them by sending the Babylonians to destroy their land and take them back to Babylon uh, into exile. And while they were in captivity, uh, by the grace of God, the Israelites cried out to Him to deliver them, and God heard their cry, and in His goodness and in His loving kindness, He allowed them to return to their homeland." And after they got back to their country, these repentant pilgrims had the opportunity to thank God for His goodness and His loving kindness in delivering them from the dreadful, disastrous situation in which they'd been. And so this psalm was written to help them celebrate their return from exile in Babylon. And so the writer's intent here was to stimulate and to motivate them to express their gratitude to God for his wonderful acts of love and goodness towards them. Notice, uh, the theme really that is weaved throughout this entire psalm. Verse one says, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His loving kindness is everlasting." Look at verse eight. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness for His wonders to the sons of men. Verse fifteen. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Verse twenty-one. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Verse thirty-one. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. And then the last verse ends in this way, who is wise, let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Well, this psalm could be broken down into three sections. And for our time tonight. I want us to see, first of all, the praise for God's loving kindness. That's verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to see the pictures of God's loving kindness in verses 4 through 32. And then finally, the proof of God's loving kindness in verses 33 through 43. Let's look first of all at the praise for God's loving kindness. And notice what the psalmist says here in verse 1. He says, "Oh, give thanks to The Lord. Express your gratitude to God. Let God know how thankful you are for how good He has been to you. Don't be silent. Speak up. And this opening line really ties this psalm together with the previous two psalms. To form a trilogy, if you go back to Psalm 105 verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Psalm 106 verse 1, praise the Lord, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so these all go together. And so he tells them to give thanks to the Lord. The question is why? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That word loving kindness, which is used multiple times in this psalm, is one of the most important Hebrew words. It's the Hebrew word "khesed," khesed, which, which is the steadfast, covenant-keeping love of God. In other words, he never stops loving us no matter what we do. His love stands the test of time, it will last throughout all eternity. That is God's faithful, steadfast covenant-keeping love. And so He tells us what we're to do. He He tells us why we're to do it. But then notice He tells us who is to do this. Verse one: "Who oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness everlasting." Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. So, who is supposed to be giving thanks for God's loving kindness? It's the redeemed. And this is a term that was used to describe those who had been rescued or delivered from an enemy or some kind of troubling situation like the Babylonian captivity, for example. And this concept of redemption was integral to the Jewish culture. If a family member was in trouble if they were in debt if they had gone into had to sell themselves into slavery they were widowed it was the responsibility of the closest relative to come to their rescue to buy them back to to purchase them with a price to redeem them and of course in the new testament this principle is applied to the price that Christ paid with his blood on the cross for those who would repent and believe in him and so We need to understand, first of all, that this psalm was written primarily and specifically about God rescuing the nation of Israel from captivity in Babylon. However, it also applies to us as Christians today. Why? Because God rescuing Israel from exile is a picture or a type of how he rescued sinners from captivity to sin, death, and hell. And so we, too, qualify as those who have been what? redeemed. And so this exhortation to praise and and thank God for His loving kindness fits perfectly in the spirit of tonight's service, right, a Thanksgiving Eve uh, communion service, and we're dedicating this time to to praise and thank God for all He's done for us. And, And the one thing, right, that we should all be most thankful for is the love that He has shown us by wonderfully redeeming us from our sin through the sacrificial death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that is the praise of God's loving kindness. Now notice, as he continues here, starting in verse 4 all the way to verse 32, uh, as a way to stimulate the people to show their thankfulness to God for His loving kindness, the psalmist here painted four vivid pictures that illustrate how God rescued them from exile in Babylon. Babylon. And he compared Israel's deliverance from, from Babylon, Babylonian exile to, to being rescued from four dreadful, disastrous situations. These four pictures really form the centerpiece of this psalm. And so let's look at the pictures of God's loving kindness here. And each of these four pictures has four parts. There's a problem, there's a prayer, there's a provision, and then there's praise. And, and by the way, this should be a typical cycle that you experience in your life on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, that there's a problem, you cry out to God for help, He provides for you, and then you praise Him. Sound familiar? Sounds like your life, doesn't it? Well, let's look at this first picture. We'll just call this wanderers retrieved. Look at the problem, verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And so here are a bunch of lost, hungry, thirsty, exhausted people, and they're out in the middle of the, the, the desert, in the wilderness, and there's no paths, there's no freeways, there's no tracks, there's no signs, there's no town, there's no supplies, there's no 7-Eleven, there's no Sonic, okay? They're wandering aimlessly, unable to find their way, they are ready to die. And so what do they do? Verse 6, they pray. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. And then notice the provision. Verse 7, he led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. He retrieved this group of wanderers and he brought them to an inhabited city. And then notice the praise in verses 8 and 9. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. And so the psalmist exhorts the people hey, let these people, these wanderers who've been retrieved uh, from certain death, let them praise the Lord. Let them thank the Lord for his great love. And then he goes on to a second picture. He paints a picture of prisoners released prisoners released. Notice the problem in verses 10 through 12. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. And so here is a group of people, again, again, not another, a different group of people, this is just another picture of the Israelites in Babylonian exile, and he likens them to these prisoners who, who are uh, filled with gloom and despair, they're, they're, they're suffering guilt, they're ready to die, but notice, uh, they deserve it. Why? Because they rebelled and they spurned against Israel. They spurned the counsel of the Most High. They they refused or rejected God's advice or God's instruction. Literally, what the psalmist is saying here is they they pushed away or drove away with the foot God's counsel. In other words, they took God's counsel and punted it. And therefore, they were in this this awful situation. They They were in darkness, in the shadow of death. They felt like they were in chains because they had rebelled against the Word of God. Their life was characterized by by slavery. But then notice their prayer, verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And notice his provision here. Verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. He released them from their slavery. He released released them from prison. He set them free. And then notice the exhortation in verse 15, to praise, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. In other words, he he released them. And you guys need to thank the Lord for his love and his kindness. And then he goes on to paint another picture of sick people being restored or healed. The problem is in verse 17, verse 17, Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And so he likens these people to fools. In other words, they weren't just innocent sufferers that that had caught some disease. Uh, This was a a self-inflicted sickness. It was their own fault. And so they were so sick, they lost their appetite. They They were on the verge of death. And then notice the prayer, verse 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses and then the provision here in in verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions and so he restored them to health, he healed them. And then notice the call to praise here in verse 21. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His works with joyful singing. Hasn't that been what we've been doing? Singing joyfully tonight, right? Praising Him. And then the last picture here, I think this is my favorite. This is that of sailors rescued. Notice the problem in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. I just get seasick reading that. You you see the vivid imagery of this storm-tossed ship going up uh, on the waves and coming down on the waves i mean this was the perfect storm right they were scared to death they thought they were going to die i mean they were stumbling around on deck like a drunk person and they were at their wit's end in other words all their nautical skills all their knowledge about sailing was useless at that point they were goners but they cried out to the Lord, verse 28, they prayed, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses and notice the provision, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed, then they were glad because they were quiet and so he guided them to their desired haven. That sounds very much like what Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee, right? When the disciples thought they were going to die in that storm and he said, peace be still and the waves immediately ceased and they were at the shore notice the exhortation to praise again verse 31 let them give thanks to the lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders isn't that what we did tonight we we extolled the lord In the congregation of the people, we we told each other what we're thankful for. We gave thanks to the Lord. We blessed his name. Now again, all four of these stories are a picture of one thing, of being rescued from exile to Babylon. That's what that was like. Now, I don't know about you, but... When I read those pictures, I can't help but see how these are also a picture of what it's like to be saved from sin. Did you see yourself in these stories, these pictures? A a, a lost person found, a a prisoner set free, a a sick person healed, a, a sailor caught in a storm rescued? Listen, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, one of these pictures, if not all of these, is a picture of your life right now. You're lost in the wilderness. You're, you're wandering aimlessly without purpose. You're locked up in a prison. You're living in, in slavery to your own sin. Uh, you're inflicted with this terminal disease, and, and sin is eating away at you like a cancer. And your life is like you're being driven and tossed by a storm. You're at your wit's end. You don't know what else to do. All your wisdom is useless. You're just staggering around through life like a a drunk person, and you're scared to death. You are in an extremely dreadful, disastrous situation. And you know why? Well, based on what this psalm says, it's because you've deliberately... And defiantly rebelled against God by foolishly disobeying his word. And you're simply reaping the consequences of, of punting the Bible, if you will. You say, Well, uh, okay, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's what I love about this song. It tells you exactly. Where you're at as an unbeliever and exactly what you need to do, you need to do what the people did all four times in this psalm. What did they do? They cried out to God to rescue them from the dreadful, disastrous situation that they were in. And that's what you need to do. You need to cry out to God to rescue you, to have mercy on you. I mean, there is so much hope in this psalm for all of us because, again, we we see these repeated cycles in our lives as believers even of rebellion and repentance and restoration. One commentator said it this way, he said, first of all, the people stray from the Lord, they walk in disobedience to his word, then they suffer the bitter consequences of their backsliding, and when they come to themselves, they cry out to the Lord in confession of sin. He then forgives their sin and brings them back into the place of blessing once more. How many of you experienced that in your Christian life? You better all be raising your hand because that, that's the Christian life. And then he says this, I love this, two basic facts emerge from the contemplation of this ever-recurring cycle. One is the perpetual proneness of the human heart to wander from the living God. Second is the seemingly inexhaustible mercy of the Lord in restoring his people when they come to him in repentance. Those are the two things we learn from this psalm, is how, how we're prone to wander, Lord I feel it, Lord to leave the God I love, as the uh, hymn says, and, and yet how God is so quick to take us back when we repent. And so there are the pictures of God's loving kindness. Now finally, let's just look at the proof of God's loving kindness. And, and after painting these brilliant portraits of, of the loving kindness of God, the psalmist. Went on here to give a, a general summary, uh, really, uh, of how God's loving kindness is confirmed by His sovereignty over all things. Look at verse 33. He changes rivers into a wilderness, and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste, because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water, and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also, he blesses them and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. And so we see this contrast here where God sovereignly takes people from a place of prosperity to a place of poverty, and he takes people from a place of barrenness to blessedness. And so in verses 33 and 34, we see how he disciplines the disobedient, but in verses 35 to 38, how he restores the humble. And we know what the Bible says, right? That he who humbles himself will be, what? Exalted, but he who exalts himself will be, what? Humbled. That's what's going on here. And then notice verses 39 through 42. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt Upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock, the upright seat and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Again, you see this contrast of falling from the top. You're at the top of the world, right? You got the world by the tail, and then you hit rock bottom. And then you've got the other idea here of being lifted from a low position to a high position. Again, God humbles the proud, and He restores the upright. I guess a simple way just to look at or to consider... Or understand these these verses here towards the end of this psalm is that that basically it's talking about all the ups and downs and successes and failures of 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 every nation and of every human being and it's all caused and controlled by God. His providence is blessing. Uh, His providence in in blessing and exalting the the humble and obedient and and, and overthrowing and silencing the proud and disobedient, it's all evidence of of His loving kindness. James Montgomery Boyce comments this way. He says, the psalm ends with a humble acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over all things and all circumstances, reminding us that even the bad things in life are in God's hands. Life has its pains and tragedies, even for Christians. Yet in spite of them, we can and should praise God for his wisdom and goodness. We can do this by seeing God's wise, loving, and sovereign hand, even in hardships. God loves us, and because he does, he comforts us, preserves us, and brings us through even the hardest experiences of life. Listen, you might be going through some very difficult things right now in your life. In fact, you may be facing the most difficult experience that you've ever faced in your life. And honestly, you may be having a hard time finding anything to be thankful for right now in your life. But based on what this psalm teaches, I want to remind you that you are in the hands of a sovereign, all-wise, loving God. And he has got everything in your life under perfect control. That's something to be thankful for. And then look at how this psalm ends. Verse 43. He says, who is wise? Anybody? Any, 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 anybody out there wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord In other words, if you're wise tonight, if you're smart, you'll pay close attention to what you've just heard, and you will ponder and you'll think about God's loving-kindnesses towards you personally. Not just to the nation of Israel, not just to the pilgrims right who came across on the Mayflower, but how has God shown His loving-kindness to you personally? Listen, only a fool would walk away from this psalm without being moved to some response after listening to what has been said. Listen, God's loving kindness demands a response. And so let me suggest a response for those of us who are believers. As we allow our minds to... Fill up as we consider, that's the word there, consider, meditate on the loving-kindness of the Lord, as we allow our minds to fill up with all the ways that God has demonstrated his loving kindness to us, our lips should just gush forth with praise and thanksgiving, and our lives should be given wholly as a living sacrifice to honor and serve him out of a grateful heart. But why do you serve the Lord? Why do you live for the Lord? Why do you obey his word? It should be because we're just so grateful that he's redeemed us. How about if you're not a believer? How 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 about if you came here tonight and you're not a Christian? We're so glad you're here tonight. But you need to understand what the Bible says, and and it says in Romans one twenty one that even though unbelievers know God, you know there's a God. But you don't honor him as God or give him thanks. But even though you don't thank God, guess what? He demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet an ungrateful sinner, Christ died for you. That's what it says in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Died for us. He has proven or shown his loving kindness to you by sending his son to die for ungrateful sinners like you and like me. And so his great love for you should motivate you to want to turn away from your rebellion, to repent of your rebellion, and come to him in faith, believing that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place to take the punishment for your sin and then to commit your life from this night forward to live for Christ, to obey Christ, to follow Christ, to serve Christ out of humble gratitude for redeeming you, rescuing you, delivering you from the devastation of your own sin, the distress. This psalm is called the Pilgrim Psalm because of the pilgrims that came back from Babylon, because of the pilgrims that came from England to our country, and because of us pilgrims right here tonight who are on a journey. This is not our home, right? We're on our way to a better land. And so this is our psalm. This is our psalm reminding us to thank the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful tonight for your amazing grace. We've sung about it already. We we are so undeserving of your mercy and your grace because our sinful situation, our our helpless, hopeless situation that we're in, this dreadful, disastrous situation that we find ourselves in um, as sinners, uh, on our way to hell, is self inflicted. We've done it to ourselves. And we, we deserve death and hell. And yet we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy that you would be so kind to not send us to hell. Not give us what we deserve, but instead give us grace. Give us what we don't deserve. Lord, it's just an amazing thing, and I pray that our hearts would just be welled up right now with amazing gratitude, incredible gratitude for your incredible grace. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for those who might be here tonight who've never truly come to know Christ, that tonight your spirit would be working in their hearts. Lord, that you would grant them genuine repentance and genuine faith, Lord, that they could walk out of here tonight a new creature in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.